Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. As we continue our Life and Death series, I want to uh, tell you just a, just a quick story and, and get your thoughts going towards it. So um, there was this farmer uh, out, out in the Midwest of America and uh, giant area of land. Uh, he had the uh, everything going. Uh, he bought one of those center pivot irrigation systems. By the way, that's like the extent of my farm knowledge. Uh, had one of those going, and uh, it was working the land, and he built this huge barn and had all the contracts going for taking the, the produce. He, he, had, he had equipment to make John Deere jealous. Uh, he was just going for it, and the neighbors came by Month after month, they're watching all this work go on, and one neighbor finally goes, man, I don't know what's happening, but like, when are you going to grow the, when's the crop coming? Because you've been working so hard. And he's like, oh, I don't have seeds, and I don't plant anything. But I got all the other stuff ready for later. Now, most of us would say that guy's idiotic, right? Waste of time, idiotic. Uh, that stuff's good in the right order, right? You need that stuff. In the right order, it could be like, boom, make a difference uh, in his family and in his community. If you're not going to buy the seed, you're not going to plant the the seeds in the ground to let them grow. All the water in the world is just making wet dirt or mud. All the barns in the world look great, but they're empty. And all the John Deere's are just wasting fuel. That's what we're looking at today as we look at this glorious day called the second coming that matters and it's amazing and it'll change everything But if we're not doing the main thing, it's all just such a waste for us here when that day comes because we're missing out on living with purpose. And so, so our big idea today, our big idea today is to, is to live with purpose. We're going to look at, at how we're supposed to live in the present, knowing that Jesus is coming back in the future because the second coming, what is coming? In 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 14, Peter writes this to us. He says, but the day of the Lord, that's the second coming, will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Some of your versions might say, hastening the day of the Lord, quickening the day of the Lord. In other words, he's saying here, there's stuff that you and I as believers can do to make the second coming come faster. Do we know when? No. Do we know how it's all going to look exactly? No. Can we hasten it? Absolutely, by doing the main thing. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flame. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. He's talking about being obedient. When we're told to be obedient... And to live peaceful lives in obedience, we do the main things the gospel tells us. 
And the main three things really Jesus tells us above all things are love God, love people, and go. The great commandment and the great commission are the main things we need to keep in our lives moving forward. So we're going to look today at three important parts about Jesus and his second coming. And then we're going to take communion during our our message today too. The first one is, Jesus says, do my business until I come. Do my business until I come. Just before Jesus went to the cross, when we read in, 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 in Luke, he, he shares this parable with his followers and with those people that are listening that explained what they're supposed to be doing until he returns. And so in Luke 19, verses 11 through 27, he tells this story about wise investment of our time Depending on what version you're reading, it's going to title it a little differently, Ten Servants, uh, End Times, whatever it is. But, but Jesus is, is telling this story. And so he had just had this moment with Zacchaeus. Remember the story? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And uh, wee little man was he. We all went to Sunday school growing up. <laughs> Came down from the sycamore tree. He's saved. Gives away all this stuff. Gives away more than he had stolen because he was a tax collector. So he stole from his own people. Jesus said, salvation's come to this man's house today. And then in Luke 19.10, Jesus gives us his mission on planet Earth. I came to seek and save the lost. And then right away, he tells this parable. So he's saying, I came to do this. And then he tells a parable about about when he goes away. So he says this. It's a long passage. uh, And so I'm I'm just going to read it. You can follow along in, in your Bible if you want to. It says, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, so it's coming up to the last week of his life, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. So they're thinking, when he goes there, he's ushering in a new reign. So he's like, I'm going to correct some thinking here. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants, that's Jesus talking about himself and his followers. I don't know where I am. Oh, and he divided among them 10 pounds of silver saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. Do my work while I'm not there until I come back. That's what he's saying. But his people hated him. That means the the, the ones who didn't know him, they hated this ruler. They sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. Sound familiar? After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, master, I invested your money. I did your work and I made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted you so you will be governor over 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money. I made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant, this is somebody who's a follower of Jesus, uh, somebody who claims to be a believer. He brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. This is an interesting moment here. 
Jesus is, is telling us right here in this one verse what this, what this guy says about the master, what he's saying about Jesus. He's saying there will be those who profess belief in him who will also believe lies about him and live out of those lies. So it's really somebody who claims belief but isn't following because he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And he's not even... Like he says, you're hard, you're hard to please. Whatever version you're reading, it might say you're hard to please, you're too much, you demand too much, but God is not impossible to please. He isn't. He's a good father, and a good father isn't impossible to please. And he made a way so that even our mistakes as we follow him, he's correcting us and changing us and molding and shaping us. He's not mad at us. This guy's lying because he either believes a lie or he wants to propagate a lie. He says, uh, you plant and you harvest where you don't do anything. That's a lie. God plants where he plants. He harvests where he harvests. He's totally in control. This servant actually refused to be on mission for what Jesus had called him to. He chose to not be obedient to what he was called to do, which was be about the business. And his lack of obedience caused him to believe lies and then speak them out, misunderstanding the true heart of the living God. Jesus goes on to say in the story, you wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man, if this is what you really thought, why didn't you just take what was mine and at least invest it? (laughs) In other words, you know, kind of liken it, hey, Hey, if you really believe I'm that hard of a God to please, why didn't you at least like read your Bible to your kids? Why didn't you at least get your kids in church? I mean, if you're going to mess up your life with wrong beliefs, at least set up others to know me. That's part of what he's saying here. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank and at least I could have gotten some interest off of it by some people being around the truth of me? Then turning to the others, standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money. From this servant, give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away by choice, not by desire of the Lord. That's a person's choice. And, for thee, as, and as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, those who at the end of time choose not to follow Jesus and reject him, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. That's harsh. Except that's a choice. That's not God's heart. That's a person's choice. Can you imagine anybody that you've ever known choosing to be executed? I I don't know anybody who would ever be like, you know, one day I'd like to be executed. That's just what I want to do. I've never met that person. And I've met some dumb people, and I've been dumb, right? But I've never met that person. But at the end of time, everybody who finds themselves in a Christless eternity, hell, a place made for the devil and his demons, like it was made for them, but people choose to be there by refusing the unconditional, overwhelming love of God. See, this is a parable about how to live with purpose as true followers, And the main thing Jesus says is you need to be about my business. I remember years ago uh, when I was in China, 
on missions. Um, we, we did a ton of stuff. It was my second trip there, and, and one of the things we did to be able to survive for four months there, because we were poor, <laughs> we were YWAMers, uh, is uh, we traded money on, on the streets in the, in the silk districts or in the markets because you go to the, because they're, so, they're such cheaters, you go to the bank and they, they basically steal money from you, so if you trade on the streets with the people, they'll give you a fair deal, and that's what we did. Uh, it was a normal thing. You just had to be a little clandestine about it, and it was a little awkward. I remember one time in a cave with an old lady. She had a bag. It was like some creepy movie. She had a cane. I was like, oh, this is like, whoa. And she gave me a great deal. I was like, oh, cool, NT. So it was good. <laughs> so we were at the Silk Districts one time in Beijing, and we knew our best, our best exchange would come there. So I took a good amount of money that we needed for the rest of the, like, the next two weeks, and I was trying to make deals. And, and I walked by this guy, and it's just tons of people. If you've ever been to Beijing, the silk districts, I mean, it's like a city in its own. And there's this guy begging on the street, which is illegal there. They'll, they'll beat you and put you in jail just for begging because they don't want that look. But it was worth it. He has no legs. He's sitting on like a little pallet that could roll, tattered, begging. I walked by him and my thought was, man, he needs somebody to love on him. And my second thought was, I got stuff to do. That's what I did. I was a missionary on a mission trip in a in a communist country that hated Jesus and I passed by a guy that I knew needed Jesus because I had stuff to do. I'm busy, busy, busy. And so I went on my business and I'm looking for the good deal and I'm trying to, I'm negotiating good deals and I couldn't get that guy out of my mind and I couldn't get that guy out of my mind. Finally, it made the deal and I was like, oh, I, I gotta go find him. I went back and he was gone. And I was like, no, no. And I must have walked around that district five times. I was getting exhausted. I had a giant bag of money. It was not safe. But I was like, I didn't care at that point. I just, and I was like, Lord, I, if you would just give me a shot, I need to find that guy. I just, want, I just need to see him. I just need to sit with him and see him and talk to him and share Jesus with him. And it was like God said, I forgive you and I'm granting you this one. It was like the seas parted. All the Chinese people parted, and there was this little guy in a place I'd walked by five times, sitting on his pallet, and I was like, yes! I probably looked a little crazy, uh, and I ran over, and I sat by him. We talked for an hour, got to lead him to the Lord. It was an amazing time. Uh, I, I was so blessed and, and blown away. God was so gracious to me, to me to give me another chance to share that message instead of bearing the weight of the guilt that I was guilty of. Because I was guilty of selfishness and self-centeredness. I was guilty of doing a good thing and bypassing the eternal thing. And so God gave me another shot. I had gotten sidetracked with what I decided matters, mattered most at that moment. And that leads me to the second Jesus point about his second coming. Don't get sidetracked. Do my business until I come. Don't get sidetracked. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks the entire chapter basically about his second coming. Verses 3 through 14, he talks about, about tough days and how the end will come. And, and he explained what end times will be like. And some we can understand and some are like, whoa, that's, that sounds wild. And in, in Matthew 24, you, you can read the, the whole story of what Jesus is, is, is saying as he foretells the future in essence. But he warns us in this chapter not to be deceived, not to be led astray 
by unimportant things eternally, not to get sidetracked, is what Jesus is talking about, but to focus on the work at hand. Don't get sidetracked. Go back to point one and do my business, because that's what matters most. Does studying about the, the end times and the second coming and knowing signs, does that, does, is that okay and good and, and healthy? Sure. Is, should it ever be my focus? No. Not until we run out of lost people. Once we run out of lost people, let's do that fully. Has anybody ever been in a place in life where they've run out of lost people? No. No. So, be about the Father's business. Don't get sidetracked. Live with purpose by, by doing His business. Verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 14. Jesus is talking about the future and He says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. When? When the good news of the gospel, the salvation message of Jesus Christ, the transforming life that Jesus can give a lost person, when that is preached throughout the entire world, and everyone has had this opportunity that God has said, that's a good enough opportunity for everyone to hear my message. When that comes, God will decide the end will come. Verse 36, Jesus goes on to say, you never know when that's going to be. Only the Father knows there is a second coming. It is a real event that will really happen. We will really see it. It'll come down here on earth. But only the Father knows, and then the Son, Jesus, will come back. You never know when that's going to happen. For generations, believers have been tempted to overly... I'm not saying again that it's not, not okay to study this stuff, but to overly focus on figuring out the details of the second coming. Now, if Jesus himself says, I don't even know, do you think you're going to figure it out? I know some of you are smart, smart people. Businessmen, businesswomen, teachers, leaders. I mean, you're some smart people. We're not smart enough, all of us together on our best days. Because even Jesus says, I don't know. The Father knows, and He'll decide, and He'll say, go, son. And then it'll happen. But so often, believers spend all this time trying to figure it out about the end times, or they just live complacent with no passion for other people and, and being about the great commandment of the great commission. And both extremes are truly tactics of the enemy to sidetrack us to get us off topic. He knows his end is coming. I mean, Sarah and I were talking the other day about the whole thing with the demons and the pigs, that story, you know, on the hillside. And they're like, oh, aren't you here a little early for us? <laughs> I know the end's coming. This is legion. So 6,000 demons are going, wait, 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 wait. We know you're coming to end us, but is this a little early? And Jesus is like, you're going to be gone from this dude. And they're like, send us into the pigs. Even they knew... That time is coming up. They just don't know when, just like you and I. They don't know when. So until then, the enemy wants us sidetracked, off topic, so that we, as followers, don't hasten the day of the Lord by sharing the gospel with everyone we come across. Study, learn, be aware, 
Every true follower of Jesus should. But don't focus your attention on speculation of end times prophecy. Live with purpose. The purpose that you're left here with as a follower of Jesus is to share the gospel, to love broken people, to to pray for them that they might be healed in their soul, in their spirit, in their body, to lead lost people to the Lord and to lead saved people into growing relationship with Jesus. Those are the reasons we're left here. We never need to argue or be divisive about the second coming of Jesus. It's going to happen. You may get it right. You may get it wrong. But it's going to happen. But we need to focus on the job at hand. To love, to serve, to be generous with our our time, our talents, and our treasure. To be in real church community. We're called to be a part of church community and live in that and out of that. To share the gospel message, share your story, your testimony until he comes. Whether you're alive on planet earth when it happens or whether you hear him from the grave like it says. I did say that. The Bible says those in the grave will hear him. Well, actually, for followers, we'll meet him in the sky. That's a fact that the Bible gives us. I don't get it. I'm like, but well, my logic goes, what if they've been cremated? I, I don't know, all those things. But it says we'll meet him in the, he comes down, the dead in Christ rise up, meet him in the sky. I mean, there's some wild things and some normal things we, we read about the second coming. And they're all true because Jesus does not lie. We just don't always understand them all perfectly. Don't get stuck in in bunny trail paths, whether it be with the second coming or with something else in life that leads you away from the main thing, the gospel-saving message of Jesus Christ. We often miss what matters most, loving God and out of that loving people and then going to everyone around us. And second, second, I can say this, I can. Second Thessalonians... Paul says, don't get sidetracked about the second coming. There's a whole chapter in, I think it's chapter 2. He says, don't get fooled by it. Don't fall for anything. Don't be deceived. Don't let anyone trick you. It's coming, but do the main thing. Every generation has faced troubled times. That is not new to any era. It is not new to us. But that glorious day, the second coming, it'll come when the gospel gets preached everywhere. So our focus on the second coming must be on, again, hastening it. Don't get caught up in things that are less spiritual. Live with purpose. We have to go to where there are lost and broken people. Sometimes they'll come here and we just go to them in the building, in the foyer, at the cafe, wherever it is. But most of the time we need to go and get them and bring them in so they can feast on the things of the Lord. Jesus says, if we do his business and don't get sidetracked, it ushers in his return. It's one of the things I love about communion and and the ushers are going to begin to hand out the communion elements. So when you get them, uh, just hold on to them and we'll take them in a moment together. But what I love about communion is that it always does such a great job of reminding us about the purpose of life, about living with purpose. It tells us and, and just taking it and, and knowing the communion story, it, it tells us about Jesus' purpose on earth, to seek and save the lost, to step in, in, in our place and in, in paying a debt we couldn't pay, that he didn't owe, but we couldn't pay. And so 
they're going to begin handing out the, the elements to you, and then we're going to take them here in a moment together. But as we do that, we're going to, we're going to look at our, our third part of, of the second coming. When it comes to his return, there's never a need to speculate. I mean, sure, it's not a horrible thing, but let's not speculate about the second coming. Let's just look at what Jesus says. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that he will physically return. Jesus will come back to planet Earth to usher in eternity. However that's going to look and whatever you believe about the, the tribulation and some of you are like, I don't even know the word tribulation as far as it goes to the Bible prophecy. Let's not worry about that right now. Let's just know that Jesus says, I'm going to come back. He says that, that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is the king. That's what Philippians 2 tells us. Lost people will be forced to kneel and confess. Saved people will be waiting to kneel and confess. Both are going to do it. One's going to do it begrudgingly, and one's going to do it very joyfully. Second Peter 3, we've said this a number of times, we can speed up the second coming of Jesus. Here's one I love so much about the, the, the second coming. In, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is telling this story, and he tells us that when he comes back, Jesus himself will come back. It says he'll put on an apron, sit us down at a feasting table, and he will be our waiter and serve us. Those found faithful to my work, who do the business of the Lord, who speak about me, who share the gospel, who don't get sidetracked. When I come back, I'm putting on the apron, and I'm going to serve you a feast. I'll be your waiter. And he says, and for those who are faithful to me, I will bless you on top of me serving you. Jesus very emphatically says, I'm going to serve those who are about my business when I return. Think about that. What a cool, humble king he is. Willing to put on an apron and serve you and I. Just for doing the thing that he asks us to do that actually brought us to salvation in the first place. That's what he tells us in Luke chapter 12. It will be a glorious day. Jesus comes with great power and glory. Satan loses forever. Believers win as a part of Jesus winning the day. Those who follow him get rewards. We live on forever with him in perfection, in eternity. Have you ever stopped to think? Maybe right now you're going to do it. Have you ever stopped to think where your life would be if Jesus hadn't changed it? I, I mean, I shudder at the thought of where I would be in my sin and bitterness and cynicism if Jesus hadn't saved me. If I were still alive, if I had lived this long without Jesus, I would be so twisted and bitter and judgmental and critical. And he did everything to save me. Where would your life be if he hadn't saved you? We don't know. Maybe you're here and you're not saved. You're like, I do know. Maybe you're like, I, I want to have a purpose. I want to have an eternity. I want to have a king who's for me. I want to I be saved. I want my debts paid. I want to be forgiven of my sin. 
I would have been so lost in my sin because I was already so lost in my sin. And you multiply 40 plus years of that, I can't imagine where my life would be. Yet Jesus saved me. Thank God for his mercy and grace that was extended in saving me and redeeming my soul. Thank God that he saved you. Dennis, I'm so glad he saved you. The world gets blessed by Stennis shots because Jesus said, I'm not letting him go. Like there's so much I can do through Stennis shots. And so he saved you. You said yes. He presented the gift. You just opened it and we're like, wow, I like eternal life. I like purpose and salvation. And then you live out of that. Now think of all those people you know who aren't saved. Family, loved ones, co-workers, neighbors down the street, maybe the meanest person you know, but you know that part of the reason they're so mean is just because they don't know Jesus and they're broken. Go to them and tell them. You might be the only opportunity that they have for someone who cares enough to take the message. God always makes a way for everyone to hear His message, but you might be the only voice that cares about that person, that goes to him and says, in the midst of your horror and your, your brokenness and your hatred or your, your depression or just your lostness and pride, I'm going to be here and I'm going to tell you about what Jesus did to save my life and how much he wants to save yours. So many people are still on that terrible trajectory to hell and death. And Jesus says, just do my business and don't get sidetracked. Everybody should have their communion elements by now. When we take communion, it it reminds me so much of just how much God loved us. He gave Jesus and so Jesus, you know, as as he's having communion with his his disciples, he, he breaks the bread and he says, my body is gonna be broken, torn apart for you. You sinned. You're lost without me. You constantly have to to do rituals to to be forgiven. I'm going to do this once and for all so you don't have to be broken and you don't have to keep coming back and doing the same thing over and over once for all time. And he he breaks that bread and he passes it and he says, this is my body broken for you. And then, he, and then he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins because sin and rebellion needs shed blood to make it right. There has to be a spilling. There has to be a sacrifice. And so Jesus says, I'm going to be the once and for all sacrifice to cover all your sins. He's showing us, he's showing them at the time and he's showing us this is how much you matter to God, how far he'll go. He'll, he'll kill me in your place just to save you, and I'm joyful to do it. I'm filled with joy to save you. That's why it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And then he adopts us into the body. Sometimes when we, when we take the, the cup, and I know it's for the free, blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, but then I think, wow, my blood and Jesus' blood are in the same family now. Like we have the same bloodline because of what he did and what I said yes to. Luke 19.10, he came to seek and save you. He came to find you. So when we take communion together, we remember all that he gave up for you. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Taking communion together 
highlights the eternal saving of your soul. Jesus said, take the bread and drink the cup and remember what I've done. But don't just remember it here. When you go out there, remember it as you go because there are lost people who need your story to be told. So pull up your bread if you would. And Jesus, we thank you for uh, giving your life on a cross, allowing yourself to be beaten for my salvation, for my healing, so that I could live with purpose. And we take this bread to remember you, Jesus. Then he took the cup. When you drink this, know that I've forgiven you. When you drink this, know that I've forgiven you. My perfect blood, my holy, eternal God blood is going to be spilled so that you can be forgiven for all time and you don't have to worry. You don't have to keep begging me and hoping that I care. This is my care. So Jesus, as we take the cup and we drink it, help us to know and remember that you poured out your blood to forgive us of sins and give us that purpose. And we take this now in remembrance of your sacrifice. And God, every time we do it, it declares what you did on the cross. You can stay seated. We're going to go into a time of worship here. You know, we're called and commissioned by Jesus to extend God's invitation for complete change to people from darkness to light, from sin-stained to sainthood, being right before God from despair to hope, from hell to eternal heaven. Let's purpose to be about the Father's business. Realize we can actually hasten the second coming of the Lord. So if you find yourself asking, Jesus, when are you coming? When's it going to be? What is it going to look like? I think he would first say, don't do that. Just go and preach my gospel. I'll come like a thief in the night, but you'll be set because you'll be preaching my gospel and lost people will come to know me because of it. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full-service replays, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. God bless and have a great week.